Good morning to everyone. Uh, my name is Devon, and um, I'm coming to you all the way this morning, all the way from Burnaby in uh, British Columbia, Canada. So, man, I've been waiting to say that for quite some time. But um, first, before I start this morning, I just want to start with the word of thanks. You know, just on behalf of me and my family, we've been so, so well received. Um, as a matter of fact, my kids are, are, are saying, if, if this is immigration, then we need to immigrate more. You know, if this is the way that we are received when we go somewhere, well, we need to do it more often. So we've just been so blessed, you know, and your generosity has, um, has overwhelmed us in a sense. And, um, you know, from the moment we got here, we're in quarantine at the moment. This is the last day of quarantine for us. But we got you to a place that's, that had a, a fridge full of food, cupboards full of food. There were toys for the kids. There were welcoming cards and, and banners made by Southside kids. Um, and, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have just been so blessed. We've had people bake us, you know, bake us some, some wonderful cookies and bread and um, bring us food every other day. As a matter of fact, we've had so much food, you know, we've at times had to give some away, um, lest, they, lest they spoil. And, um, you know, it is said that the way to a man's heart is through his, his stomach. Well, that's certainly true for me. And um, so if I wasn't that fond of you before, I most certainly am now. Or let me rather say I'm even more than I was before. And so we've just been so blessed. Um, and so just a warm, warm, warm thank you um, from Svenia, myself and the kids. It's been such a testimony to our families um, and such an example of what Christian community truly looks like. And so... Thank you for that. Now, I could spend the rest of the morning just going on about the just the um, the generosity of Southside, but let's jump into our message this morning. So, for our guest, well, maybe he said the best things already. That could be it. Devin, we're we're losing you. Been here the last couple of weeks. Uh, we started with a new series. That we Is it better? There we go. We got it. Can you hear me now? Okay, let me try my phone. Sorry about that. I thought Canada's wi uh, Wi-Fi was a bit better than South Africa's. Apparently, it's the same. Anyway, so um, yeah, so let's get straight into the message this morning. And um, so last week we saw just through an encounter with the disciples, um, Jesus took his disciples from a state of of, of fear um, to one of courage. And this morning we'll see that the, that some of the disciples were also in a different type of state. And um, this state we can identify with. You know, if ever there was a relevant state for our culture, our context, it's the state of, of some of these disciples we're going to talk about this morning. And the state we're, I'm referring to is unbelief. And we will see this morning that just as Jesus encounters Thomas, he takes Thomas from a state of unbelief to one of confidence. And we will see this morning that as we experience the living and risen Christ, we too, our doubts and our unbelief is replaced by confidence in Jesus Christ, that he is who he said he is and that he'll do what he promised to do. And ultimately, this confidence we have in Jesus 
leads to life. And more about that a bit, little bit later. Please stand with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to read from verse 24. It says the following. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nail, nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The main issue of this text that we're dealing with this morning, this, this, um, this encounter, is the issue of, of doubt that has led to unbelief. Thomas here in verse 25, he says this, he says, unless I see the marks, these nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger into these nail marks, and unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. Now, this morning, it is important for us, as the screen shows, is just to explain the difference between doubt and unbelief. At face value, they might seem like the same thing or a similar thing, and yet they are quite different. And so let me explain. Doubt is more an intellectual problem. And what I mean by that is it, is it is saying, I want to believe. My heart wants to believe, but somehow I'm struggling with it. I've got questions. I've got doubts. There are problems that, that my faith is facing, and I'm struggling to believe. Whereas unbelief is more a moral problem. It is saying, I will not believe. I will not believe. So doubt saying, I want to believe, but I've got problems, there's concerns, there are unanswered questions, and all of these things are choking my faith. Whereas unbelief says, I won't believe. I will not believe unless you meet certain conditions. And that's what we find here in Thomas. Warren Wiersbe, the American Bible commentator, makes this comment. He says, we so often call him doubting Thomas, and yet it's not really because of the doubt that Jesus rebukes Thomas. It's more about the unbelief because the translation, the stop doubting and believe passage can also be translated to say, be not faithless, but believing. Here you get Thomas. He's saying, he's saying, I'll believe in Jesus if Jesus does X, Y, and Z. He lays down the conditions for belief. You know, he's saying, I want to put my, I want to see the marks. I want to put my fingers in them and I want to put my hand in his side. He's laying down the conditions. It is a, it is a characteristic of unbelief. Now, something about Thomas, and that's why I found that video quite entertaining. He wasn't always doubting Thomas or unbelieving Thomas, as I will argue this morning. At some stage, he was courageous, Thomas. You see, if you take the first half of the Gospel of John that we're dealing with at the moment, in chapter 11, you find Thomas actually being the most courageous of the disciples. The account goes in John chapter 11 that Jesus' friend Lazarus has passed away. And Jesus wants to go to Bethany in Judea to go and see his friend that's passed away, Lazarus. 
But the only problem with that was last time Jesus was in Judea, the Jews tried to stone him. And so all the disciples, which you can understand, were saying, Jesus, you cannot go back. But Thomas gets up and says this. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. So Thomas, he's this courageous disciple saying, whatever the cost, I'm going to follow Jesus. And yet something happened in his life. Something changed. If you compare the courageous Thomas and this doubting and unbelieving Thomas, something happened in his life. And it's been touched on this morning already. The major thing that happened in his life that shook his worldview is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You see, this wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't part of the expectation of the Jews and of his followers. The prophecies went like this, that, that Israel's Messiah had to come and defeat the enemies of Israel, not the other way around. He wasn't supposed to get crucified by Israel's enemies. He was supposed to defeat them. So no doubt, this laid the foundation to his doubt, which ultimately led to his unbelief. You see, he was so taken aback. He was so disappointed that he ended up not even being with the disciples on the Resurrection Sunday. He stayed away. He isolated himself. He was despondent because of his disappointment. And now as we head into this account, we see that this, these, these doubts, these questions, these concerns that Thomas had 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 turned into something more radical, more detrimental to his faith, namely unbelief. point that I want to make at this stage, as we just distinct between these two things, is that doubt that is undealt with leads to unbelief. I'll say that again. If you want to write something down this morning, write this down. Doubt that is undealt with leads to unbelief. The British um, writer Oz Guinness made this comment. He said, to doubt is part and parcel of what it means to be human. In other words, it's natural, it's normal for, me, for people to have questions and concerns and doubts. But what it comes down to, friends, is what we do with these doubts, that's the key. That's the key. And I want to give you a picture this morning by using Philip Yancey's quote that's on the screen there. I want to give you just a, a picture, a metaphorical picture of how this works. He says the following. He says, doubt is the skeleton in the closet of faith. And I know no better way to treat a skeleton than to bring it into the open and expose it for what it is. Not something to hide or fear, but a hard structure on which living tissue may grow. You see, doubts come with two things. It comes with a caution, but it also comes with potential. It comes with a caution, and I've, been, I've touched on this already, because the caution is this, that unless you deal with the concerns and the questions and the doubts of your heart, it will lead to unbelief. When doubt matures, it leads to unbelief. We see this in the account of Thomas, but also you can look at contemporary uh, examples. Someone like Brad Pitt comes to mind, who was raised as a Christian in a Christian home. But he had this particular question. His question was, after he heard a sermon where the preacher said that, you know, that God lives to glorify himself. His questioning was, well, is God not egocentric? And he just couldn't get over that. But instead of going to someone to explain, he left the faith. You see, that doubt, those questions led to unbelief. If he had gone to that preacher or that teacher, I'm sure he would have said to, to Brad Pitt at that stage, 
What he means is this, that when God glorifies himself, he reveals his glory. And when God's glory is revealed, you and I, his creation, find ultimate joy. The glory of God and the joy of men walk hand in hand. It's two sides of the same coin. That's an example. So doubt comes with this, this caution that you've got to deal with them. But it also comes with potential. It comes with potential. And this is what Philip Yancey is saying. The potential is this. If we take these doubts out of the closet and we deal with them, it leads to a strengthening of your faith instead of a degression thereof. It leads to, to, to spiritual growth. You see, it, it, it almost gives you the framework on which you can place your faith. It provides the heart structure, the bones on which the flesh of faith can grow. So it all comes to down with what you do with your doubts. Now, I know you have them. I have them myself. And a very interesting thing about Thomas is his name, Thomas or Didymus, it means twin. But the fascinating thing about this name is nobody knows who Thomas's twin was. Not in no, no biblical literature, no extra biblical literature. Nowhere do we find an explanation of who he was or what he did. But I think I figured it out. I think I know who Thomas's twin is. I've got a suspicion. You ready for it? I think his twin is me and you and us. Because we, like Thomas, have doubts. But what we do with them, that makes all the difference. You see, friends, this morning, what are the questions that you have? What are the concerns? What are these doubts that is in your heart and in your life? And what are you doing with them? Are you keeping them in the cupboard so your, your doubt can mature and lead to unbelief? Or are we taking them out? Are we dealing with them? Are we packing the, 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 the flesh of faith on the hard bones of our doubts? What are your questions? Are you questioning this morning the existence of God or the validity of the incarnation or the historiosity of the resurrection? Maybe that you're questioning whether God loves you. Are you questioning this morning that God is good amidst the world of suffering? Are you questioning that he speaks and that he's intricately involved in the details of your life? I want to appeal to you this morning and urge you, do not leave your doubts undealt with. Ask the questions. And so maybe you say this morning, well, Devin, how do I do that? How, how can we deal with our doubts? Well, I'm grateful that you asked the question. Let's go back to the text. I want to give you two ways that we can see from this text of dealing with our doubts. The first one is this, it's meeting with God's people. Meeting with God's people. Where was Thomas when the disciples met on the Resurrection Sunday? Was he so disappointed, so despondent that he just couldn't do it? He couldn't meet with his friends because of what had happened? Is it not true, friends, that, that when we are discouraged and when we are despondent and defeated, that's when we need people around us the most? Because solitude feeds disappointment that will ultimately result in self-pity. Or in our context this morning, solitude of our doubts, when we have doubts, it leads to unbelief. But there is such a warning for us in this, friends. As we look at this Thomas account, such a warning to take, the, to take Hebrews 10 seriously, which says, do not neglect meeting together with God's people. 
Thomas neglected. Thomas stayed away that first, that resurrection Sunday. He wasn't there. He stayed away. And because he stayed away, he missed the resurrected Jesus. He, he never heard those words of peace that Jesus spoke. He never heard the words of the commission. He never felt the breath of Jesus as he breathed the Holy Spirit upon his disciples. Instead, he went through, through the worst possible week, a week filled with doubts and disappointments when he could have experienced joy and peace. Look at these two verses, verse 24 and verse 26, just to the contrast. In the first instance, Thomas isn't there. And I've hammered on this quite a bit, so I'm not going to elaborate. But what is the result of Thomas staying away from when the people of God were meeting? The result, quite clearly, is his doubts turned to unbelief. Now contrast that to verse 26. Thomas now somehow, he finds it in himself, or maybe it's the leading of the Spirit. I don't quite know. But he, he goes. At least he's there. He might not believe, but at least he's there. And by joining with the people of God, he now encounters the living Christ. And ultimately, the result of this is faith. It is faith. Friends, this morning, this might surprise you, but we all have questions. We all have concerns. We all have issues and doubts that we are dealing with. But praise God. He has given us a community to belong to, a people to belong to. He has given us wise people he has given us mature people he has given us wonderful teachers and preachers he's given us people who are who are very smart much smarter than i am and perhaps maybe one or two of you but he's given us people who has walked this road who has asked these questions who have found the answers to some degree people who can help you find the answer to your concern or your question or at least point you in the right direction and so this morning, friends, the first way to deal with doubt is to live in fellowship, live with fellow uh, Christians and do life together, to live in community, to live in, 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 in covenant where you can vocalize your doubts, you can vocalize your questions, your concerns, the fears that you might have in the hope that they might be answered and that you might build faith, the flesh of faith, as we call it this morning, the flesh of faith on the hard bones of your doubts. But it's up to you. It's up to you whether you will commit yourself and ask these questions, commit yourself to the people of God, or whether you will isolate yourself like Thomas did this first week. We went through the toughest week of his life, I'm sure, which caused his doubts to turn into unbelief. But there's a second point I want to make this morning. As we look at this account, there's a second way of dealing with doubts. And that is not only meeting with the people of God, but also meeting with the risen Christ. Meeting with the risen Christ. Maybe you can close your eyes for a moment. Just picture this, right? So we've had Thomas. He gave all these kind of sarcastic comments, laying down the conditions before he will believe. And now Jesus comes onto the scene and he says this in verse 26. It says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe or stop being faithless and believe. 
You see, friends, you and I, we live in a time, a post-enlightenment, post-modern, post-Christian type of context that is so conducive to the disposition of doubt and unbelief. We are just constantly bombarded by arguments and opinions of different people that are anti-God, trying to dissuade us from following Jesus. I believe now more than any other time in history. But when we encounter the living Jesus, these arguments and these opinions, they melt away. They cannot stand against the risen Christ. When we see and when we experience the risen Jesus, these, these, um, the unbelief cannot survive and the doubt melts away. This is what we see even in this account with Thomas. You see, the main objective of this series, looking at Jesus' resurrection, look at, looking at these appearance, appearances, is not only to study history, but it is so that you and I could also experience Jesus in the year and now. He's alive as we prayed before this meeting, and therefore we can have an expectation. That is why this church, this leadership keeps saying, keep asking the question, where did you see God at work this week? We are wanting to draw attention to the fact that he is present, he is alive, and he is integrally involved in your life. These experiences of Jesus conquers, it melts doubt. You see, quite some, quite some years ago, probably about a, a decade ago now, I was a pretty new, new Christian, and someone said to me that I could, I could hear the voice of Jesus. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if I can do it, I want to do it. And so the one holiday, I was sitting in my room just saying, okay, Jesus, please speak to me. You know, whatever I felt in my heart, we spoke about burning hearts a couple of weeks ago. Whatever I feel in my heart by the Spirit, I'm just going to do it, right? I'm, I'm going to take a risk. I might look silly, but I'm going to do it. And so I heard a few things, you know, I ought to go to the street and I'll see a lady pass. And if I see a lady pass, I need to share the gospel with her. And I heard things like this, you know, obviously just taking it by faith. And all of those were wrong. I went outside, I stood there, but nobody ever came. So I kind of felt silly. I kind of looked silly. I don't think anyone saw me, luckily, but I kept at it. I was adamant. If Jesus speaks, I want to hear him. I want to encounter him. And so it wasn't long after this that I, I felt a similar thing, that the Lord wanted me to go to a certain shopping center, walk there. And on the way, I would meet a guy by the name of Jacob. And I was to go with Jacob and pray for his wife because Jacob's wife was sick. I thought to myself, this is quite interesting. Well, let's, let's go. Let's do it. And as I walked out of my house, I just felt the name Joseph. And then I said to myself, no, it's Jacob. It's not Joseph. But anyhow, so off I went down the street. Every guy that I see, I go, are you Jacob? Are you Joseph? And people are looking at me, thinking to themselves, this is the weirdest guy. And I felt like the weirdest guy in the world at that stage. I can promise you that. But I was adamant. And so I kept going. And a couple of kilometers from my house, there were these, last, these guys standing. And I said to the Lord, I'm going to ask these guys. And if none of them are Jacob or Joseph, then I'm leaving. Like I've, I've tried. And um, lo and behold, the last guy that I speak to. So I said to him, what's your name? He says to me, his name is Joseph. And all of a sudden, I go, like, okay, this is interesting. And I asked him, do you know a Jacob? And this Joseph tells me, he says, yes, Jacob is his friend that always, you know, they, they wait for work. Uh, on the corner of the street there. 
And he says to me, Jacob isn't here today because he's with his wife. His wife is sick. Now, long story short, I never met the guy. I never, you know, I tried. I never found him again. But the point of the matter is this, friends, is when we, if someone came to me with a thesis of 100 reasons why God doesn't exist, I would not have believed him after I went through that experience. I experienced for myself the risen Jesus Christ. And it makes all the difference. And this is what we have in, in Thomas here. You see, we have intellect, so we are intellectual beings, but we need more than just intellectual reasoning. That is important. But we also need to be touched in the heart, right? If Descartes, that French philosopher, is correct, then we are merely brains on a stick. And then by argumentation, you know, that would make all the difference. But we are more than brains on a stick. We have a heart. We have a spirit. And so I'm not doing away with the intellect, but I'm saying we need to experience Jesus in real ways, friends. You know, Bonhoeffer, we had just his quote on, on the screen. I'm currently busy with quite a bit of historical research on Jesus. I've spent the last year and a half just looking at Jesus historically. And this is an, a fascinating time of history where we, through, through these new archaeological findings, particularly the Dead Sea Scrolls and the library at Qumran and these type of writings, we can understand first century Judaism better than any other time before us. And we can understand Jesus more clearly in his context. And so I've devoted the last year, year and a half of my life to do that. And it's been fascinating, but it's not been enough. I can't just read about historical facts about Jesus. Intellectually, yes, it's stimulating, but I need more. I need more. I need to experience him now in my life. Bonhoeffer, that German German martyr said the following. He says, speaking about the past and being intellectual, he says, the past is that which is present. And the historical validity of something is affirmed by its existence here and now. Because the risen Christ is present, we have absolute certainty that this Christ also existed historically. When we encounter Jesus today and all, all these different ways, friends, it, it validifies it affirms that he is who he says he is and that he'll do what he said he'll do in the past i'll give you one more comment before i land this is these two antidotes these two steps that we can take in dealing with our with our doubts meeting with the people of god and meeting with the living christ these two aspects they are not mutually exclusive but they are interlocked they are they are they are two sides of the same coin and so you see Thomas here, he experiences the living Jesus where? In community with people. In community with people. You find this through the New Testament. You find it through church history. Now, yes, Jesus might, uh, he might and he does um, show himself to individuals, but mostly it is in the context of his community. We know the text that says where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them it is a similar thing when the people of god gather we can experience the risen christ more clearly more deeply and more meaningfully and now in conclusion this morning we might say well why deal with it you know why deal with our doubts sure it can lead to unbelief but i mean what's the upside of this why deal with these doubts let's go back to the scripture this morning verse 28 the answer to this question is it leads to faith and ultimately life Faith and life. Yes, Thomas, verse 28, he sees all this, right? He experiences Jesus in community, 
And now listen to his response. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that someone gives the title God to Jesus. He assigns the title God to Jesus. And John finds this so prominent that he puts it at the back of his gospel so that it, it completes the circle because John 1 started with similar language. And now at the end of the, after the resurrection, it, now, it is now confirmed, it is affirmed that which he started with. My Lord and my God, a fascinating Christological statement. It led to faith. And now let's go on verse 30 and verse 31. Listen to this, and I'm going to close with this, these beautiful verses. It says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. By believing you may have life in his name. Dealing with our doubts brings about faith, and faith leads to life. Amen.